Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and as always, we are sponsored by Running Aces Racetrack and Casino. And this is episode 122. Just a couple of quick announcements. Crazy Like a Fox is in full swing. We've now completed two out of the 10 sessions, and it's just going fantastic. The numbers keep growing, and there's still time if you want to jump in. Uh, we actually video record all of the sessions, and so if you jump in now, I can get you a link to watch both of the first two sessions. You'll get all of the homework, all of the links, all of the content. You'll get access to the private discussion boards, which have been incredibly active already. And so if you want to be a part of that, and you're part of Rec Poker Nation, which you are, uh, you can still sign up, and you can just use the code FOXRECPOKER, and you can get that for half price. So 150 bucks for 15 plus hours of world-class teaching, discussion, community building, all of that stuff. So check it out, recpokertraining.com, click on crazy like a fox. All of the details are there, including the content that's going to be covered. So check that out for sure. Uh, we, we sort of had some interesting runs right away. So the first session uh, was completed on Thursday, I believe it was March 21st, and then Friday night, I won, Saturday, Alberto won, Sunday, Chris Jones won, and now we're recording on Monday. So I don't know if we're going to continue the streak, but so far uh, we've had a winner on every single day at Running Aces uh, from those of us who are part of the Crazy Like a Fox training. So uh, I'm not saying, I'm just saying there's some good things that are happening here. Uh, also, Running Aces Player of the Week, uh, I forgot to mention it last week, so I got the last two weeks. Uh, congratulations to two weeks ago, Alberto Briones Moraz, who took it down, followed by Steve Webb, Mike Dockin, and myself, Steve Fredland, uh, were the top four. And then last week, uh, we had a three-way tie for fourth. So the people that won uh, Lammers at Running Aces, Daryl Whittingstead, Rick Olvanis, Alberto Briones Moraz again, Jesse Johnson, Ed Mokridzki, sorry if I butchered that name, and Joe Sullivan. Uh, so congratulations, all you guys. And then one thing I haven't mentioned for quite a while, um, but I want to bring up again, is Patreon is a way that you can support the Rec Poker Podcast. Uh, obviously, a lot of this content is free. You're getting uh, a lot of content every week, and that's perfectly fine. I'm happy with that. But if you do want to uh, support and encourage what we're doing, you can go to patreon.com, look up Rec Poker. You can support us there uh, for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, just to show your support. And a couple of new Patreon subscribers, Scout uh, is the only name I got. So I don't know your real name, but thank you so much supporting us at $5 a month. And Sam, again, I don't have a last name, but Sam, thank you for your dollar a month uh, contribution and support and encouragement. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, the encouragement does really mean a lot. So with that, uh, enough, uh, enough fanfare. Uh, let me cut into the discussion we had in the Rec Poker Players. Let's talk poker, man. What do you What do you guys got? You got some uh, some great topic. You got some cool hands. What's kind of rattling around right now? Or those of you who've been part of Crazy Like a Fox, what are your kind of early thoughts on you know on some things there? Well, one of the things I noticed is it's making me it's making me study. Yeah, you know the fact you know I I could blow it off every night. You know, come home and think God, I should study, but shit, I just was at work all day long. I'm sick of it. <laughs> right. So then you kick back and you don't do anything. Well, now you got, well, geez, I got to put some stuff in the forum. I got to, I got to post some stuff. I got to run some Equilab stuff. I got to work on stack sizes. And, and it's like that it's forcing me to do more than I probably would normally. Okay. So that's, so that's a good thing. 
That is a, definitely a good thing. Okay. Which of it did you find valuable or more valuable? I mean, was the posting kind of valuable or was it just like, I, I want to do it because I want to honor the commitment or? Uh... Well, I think the fact that I had to post something made me dig into things a little bit deeper than I normally would. Okay. My whole hand was, it was a stupid hand. I just started playing around with Equilab to see what happened. And so then I, I had it all together after doing that. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just post this and throw it out there and let's see whatever anybody else thinks or, um, you know, from the standpoint of, from the standpoint of equity and, and what kind of equity I had throughout the hand. So. Right. Okay. I found it interesting. I, uh, played Sunday night trying to do what Fox said about always keeping yeah. everyone's number of big blinds together. And I thought I used to do a pretty decent job of stack sizes and realized, you know, I don't. <laughs> I know I know if, in general, I know who has me covered and who I have covered. And I know real in general if it's by a, a fair amount or if it's pretty close. But that's about as far as I go, and I don't necessarily know who has the big blind or how many big blinds they have or even how many big blinds I have. I mean, I know within five or ten, Yeah. but five or ten is a pretty coarse grain, particularly when you're talking about you know 20 to 30 big blind stacks. So I need to get better at that. And, and how, how valuable do you think it – I mean, that's, that's the thing I, I struggled with a little bit. Um, was you know it's a, it's a lot of work to really do that you know i mean obviously the great players must must do that all the time but like that's kind of what i was trying to do too when i was playing was okay what does everybody have what does everybody have and maybe this is just more of a shortcoming on my end but i was like you know by the time i get to the last guy i've already forgotten what the first guy had <laughs> you know so like um you know how much value is it compared to the emotional energy and the mental energy to to try to calculate those things versus well, waiting till you're in the hand. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Is it worth it is kind of my question. And I'm, I'm not doubting Fox. I'm just like, maybe he's, you know, can do it more easily than I can. So kind of what do you think about that, John? Like the trade-off? Well, I have a feeling it's one of those things that once you get used to it, it becomes a lot easier. And and it doesn't need to be perfect. You just need to look at it. And I mean, you can look at it while you're in the process of a hand. Okay, I think this person had about 50 big blinds. Let's take a look and see if his stack has changed um, or her. I don't want to be sexist. Right. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, I think it will get easier over time. And I think what is really happening is a lot of the decisions that you need to be able to make are based upon those big blinds. If you don't know how many big blinds you have or the number of big blinds in play for the effective stack, you can't properly make the decisions you need to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's going to be, because right now we hear a lot, it depends. Right. It depends. When do you call? Well, calling can be good sometimes, shoving can be good others, folding should be others. And one of the big things is that's going to depend upon is stack size. Now, I don't necessarily understand everything that Fox is going to teach us on that. But that's kind of where I believe he's going. Yeah, that's really good. That was the eye-opening thing for me too, is realizing, okay, this is something I, I really never do to that extent. And it, it's one of those things, you know, until you do it, you may not realize it. Like, you know, every time I use a knife in my house, I sharpen it after I wash it and put it away. 
And uh, my wife always says, you know, that's a lot more work to do it. And I said, yeah, until you have a dull knife, it is. <laughs> and once you have a dull knife, it's a lot more work to get it back than it is to uh. go. And it's the same type of thing. You know, it may not be much value counting stacks until you realize how to use that tool. And, and once you do it often enough, I'm hoping it'll just become innate. I thought I was much better than I was. Okay. That's the summary. Yeah, no, that's, and that's a great eye-opening insight. How about other guys' thoughts? I, I thought the same thing. I thought I was better at it than I was because <laughs> I was, I mean, I think I, I'm pretty good at sort of categorizing people, you know, that guy is short, that woman's got me covered by, you know, two times or whatever. But like when it came down to it, I was making decisions based on, some sort of innate sense of like, oh, well, they're sort of in this range. But like, as I was really focusing on it, it started to actually change some of my decisions. Um, like, I, I was, there was a hand I was going to open. Um, I had a big stack. I was hand I was going to open. But I saw there was somebody, you know, three seats down in the big blind. I was like, if I open, they're going to shove. And do I really want to call? I think I had like King Jack. And I was like, do I really want to call mm-hmm. to an open shove on this? So I just folded it. And I think I wouldn't have done that. I think I would have just opened and then been like, oh, what am I going to do now? And they did actually shove on that. And so I, it actually made me more aware of like what to anticipate from other players too by being sort of aware of how many – as much as I could. But the more you get into hands too, the more chips start flowing around the table. It's just so hard to keep track of it constantly. Right. No, that's really good, man. That's exciting. Just kind of have right away an affirmation, especially when they shove, then you feel really good. Like, right. <laughs> you know, maybe it was the right play or not, but either way you were thinking about it. Yeah. Right. Sweet. So, so new tech, is that you that Chris, I can't really tell. Is that who you are? Yeah. That's oh, hey. me. Okay. I was like, who's new, who's new talk out there? Well, welcome, welcome, man. Like your first time joining us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm a little tired right now. Just getting back from Iowa. Just it was it's been a long couple of days. I had a really uh, I would say three quarters through day one. I had a really really tough decision. Um, I mean, you guys might not think that this is you know proper poker or anything, but uh-huh. so well, if you're okay, we're gonna we're gonna break it down. Maybe you go with it. We'll break it down and in in the hijack, uh, I open up Queen Nine. Queen of Spades. Um, I'm pretty active at the table. I like to try and be the table captain, take control, and uh, the big blind flats. So it comes six, eight, deuce, rainbow. Um, he checks it, and I really have no equity on this flop. I don't want to get, you know, lead out and get check raised or whatever. I, so I check behind. Uh, turn comes a nine of diamonds. So now I hit top pair. He checks again. And I lead out for maybe 30% pot. And he immediately check raises me. And there was just, uh, just the sizing that he picked was, was just a huge raise. I mean, there's, there's really nothing that he's trying to, you know, 
bet me off of unless I have Jack 10. And now I have open ended with two overs. So I ended up calling uh, the river comes a three. No flush is out there. He immediately just stacks it in. And now that is about 85% of my chip stack. And I already had it in my head that he didn't have it. And I immediately stabbed him just with top pair and he showed King High. Mm-hmm. King Jack Officer. And in the last, I mean, I don't play a whole ton, but I mean, in every single tournament, it seems like I have to make some type of, of great read or great lay down because I just don't get aces or kings. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's, well, I think in those tournaments you see, you know, guys are putting a lot of pressure on all the time. And if they, if they sense weakness, I mean, I don't know your opponent, but you know, they sense weakness, they're going to come after it and they're going to make you make some tough decisions. Yeah, it's. What and, do you, what and, do you guys uh, think? What, what's kind of your take on that hand right there? What's what's sort of your your take there? Obviously, you weren't there. You don't know the player, but uh, Derek, you got something. Well, once you picked up that equity on the turn, um, were you? I guess I I would have thought your thought process on the flop was I don't have a lot going here, but I, so I don't want to bet and get check raised off this. Now you've picked up some equity on the turn. I'm kind of wondering about, obviously it worked out for you in this instance, but about checking there just to see what they do and turning, you know, turning your hand basically into a bluff catcher and, and sort of minimizing the, you know, controlling the size of the pot a little. Um, so, so when I actually turned top pair and let out, um, I well, didn't he, make it check to you, right? He checked you on the, on the yep. turn. Yep. He yep. checked on the turn. Um, and I mean, I just put out 30%. I mean, I just want to get, you know, I, I at least turn top here. I want to get some type of, you know, some want to get some type of chips out of this pot. And as soon, like he immediately check raised me. And it's like, if there's no flush, um, I mean, if he's got, you know, five, seven, seven, ten, I just feel like he's going to just flat and and either lead the lead the river, depending on what it is, especially, you know, if it's ace, king, queen, something that's going to connect with my range more than his. Yeah. And now he can get value from his hand, but what it it just it just didn't make any sense. Yeah, I think the thing that maybe Derek, maybe Derek's referring to is you know we've been talking a lot about on the show just kind of when you know when do you see bet when do you you know when do you bet those things and like um, just it's just up for the conversation. It's not judging the play at all, but just sort of oh, no. you know on the on the flop you've got really no equity there at all. And I think some of our conversations have led us to say, well, then that's the time to actually see bet. Um, you know, to see bet when you have either a big hand or you have no equity because you're not really afraid if you get, if you get check raised you just fold. Uh, so that's yeah. one. That's one thought, uh, whether that's right or wrong. And then on the turn, you're actually in a situation where you have you have equity, but you don't really want to get check raised off of it. So that might be a time to check back. So that's just kind of some of the conversations. So I think we're just kind of exploring uh, another perspective on that. Um, you know, where you you sort of check when you have no equity, and then you uh, you bet when you have marginal equity. Um, and I get the idea that hey, I, I want to get some value, I want to protect my hand a little bit, but that's kind of the risk is when you get check raised. Well, well, especially if he had, say, like, E7 offsuit, and now he picked up open-ended, 
and he's got an over or, you know, sure. Jack seven or right, whatever. Right. Yep. And now he's trying to check raise me off it because now he picked up equity in the hand and he's, he's really not putting a nine in my range. Right. Yeah. I think the question is just really like when you, when you decide to bet the, the turn before the check raise, you know, just kind of even, do you ever consider just going check, check there with top pair or do you just feel like that's too strong? I want to protect it. Kind of your decision to bet the, bet the turn. Uh, at that point, um, I mean, I don't know if you know who Ryan Hartman is. Yeah. Um, he had been uh, basically running everybody over. And, and you know, I had built up a big stack and I was back down. Now I'm trying to – I'm back and trying to accumulate chips mode. But even when I'm trying to accumulate chip mode, I mean, I, I play a pretty small ball type of game. I like to try to control the pot until – you know, it comes my way and, and I can get it in there. But I don't know. It was just, yeah. it was just a really weird situation. And, and, uh, I mean, it, I had already had it made up in my mind that there was no way in the world that he had me beat. Yeah. And I snapped him off as like, I, like I helmuthed him into the pot as he, <laughs> he, he he was just pushing it over the line. I said, call. And then he pretended like he didn't hear me. And he's like, what? I'm, I, I call. <laughs> Derek or Rob, did you have something else there? Or I was just, just curious. Uh, did, did you have any conscious thoughts of what he might actually have? Or were you just putting him on a general range that had nothing? No, I pretty much put him on. I, I mean, I narrowed it down to. Jack 10, A7, you know, somewhere in there where um, he he was just on type some type of check-raise draw, and now he's going to bomb the river because there's no way that he can win. Okay, so basically he's the type of player who he got involved in the hand to begin with thinking that he's going to be able to outplay you. Yeah. I mean, the guy was super aggro-aggressive. Yeah. Well, I've seen his name before. He he plays in a lot of those and he cashes in a lot of them. Well, it wasn't the the player wasn't Ryan. I was just, oh, you know, oh. explaining my explaining my situation that I mean the the guy had literally aces and cracked aces and just like the deck had Louisville slugger on it and it's smashed. <laughs> I mean it was it was something it was something gross and that's how I went out I I uh, um, I I let my emotions get to me and after being you know in a hand with him for you know the umpteenth time and you know I'd I'd raise and he'd he'd go all in or he three bet me and it's like I got a full ace jack I got a full ace queen I got it you know and every single time he had aces I've never seen like he had hit the aces like a dozen times at tournament cracked aces i don't know how like three times i saw it i'm like there's no way he's got it this time and i ended up barreling off with nines on a five three three flop and he had aces it's, it was <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah that was my tournament ended was for the first time in like 10 years that i let my emotions get to me and my emotions made the play instead of my head. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's easy to do. 
How about you other guys? Other guys got any hands that you want to go over? Any specific things? I know I've got some questions I can I can bring up based on some of the questions I've been getting. But you guys have any other hands or things you want to talk through? Hey, Steve, I did see just something interesting um, that came across on Twitter today. I don't know if it's much worthy of discussion more so than just to bring it up. I, I grabbed it really quick on my phone, but someone posted from a $1. So moving from like $1,100 MSPT <laughs> to a $1 sit and go that they had called off a jam when they were down to three hand and it was a uh, top two, you know, get paid. And they called off what they King suited. And the person had said to them, and I don't know if any of you guys saw this, but the opponent had said, hey, you made a, you know, a, a negative EV. You know, uh, it was not ICM, ICM. But it was, yeah, it wasn't the proper play. And he said, no, you're wrong. With Ace King suited, it has to be, you know, a top 3% type of hand or whatever. So he went back and ran the math. And he got a hold of this guy. And he's like, after running it, you're actually right. It was, it's only aces, kings, or queens that you can call off in this exact specific spot. But it was in a $1 sit and go. Yeah. And all these like pros, like Brokos was on there and stuff. Like, they're like, what is happening to poker? Why are people in $1 sit and goes? <laughs> like, how are they already knowing that, you know what I mean? That you should be laying down ace, king suited in this exact spot that it's ICM, quote unquote, suicide again. But anyway, so he went through it. So he got a hold of the guy and he's like, you're next. One dollar buy-in, I, I got your buy-in, you know, because you were right. I apologize for saying you were wrong in the chat, but I just thought that was kind of a, a bit wild to think of, uh, you know, where, you know where poker is. Well, oh, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing if you have somebody that's willing to lay down ace king suited three-handed and they're playing in a one dollar. I mean, you you got to be pretty pretty well versed in the game to be laying down ace king suited due to ICM implications, right? Right. And you're and playing in a one dollar. Like the, the Charlie Corrells and all these other people are just like. Oh, what what is happening <laughs> you know what I mean? the, the well, knowledge base has grow, you know grown so much well, right right exactly. to the point where, where the guy just off the cuff told the guy that's that's a, you know what i mean you're, you're taking a bad spot there and he's like nah i think you're wrong and then he went back into the homework and ran it all and came so back on been, and posted the pictures and he's like you were right <laughs> so the guy with the ace king suit it must have been they must have been two pretty big stacks and he was second in chips so that must have been the situation i, I think yeah i didn't even it look so be. close beyond just that it was like Wow. <laughs> it was a, so it was like a 70 the game cent, these days. <laughs> like a 70 cent ICM mistake. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> no, that's it. That is interesting, though. I mean, that's the thing where I think uh, to, to Rob's point uh, earlier about, you know, doing homework and this sort of thing and, you know, kind of the stuff that Fox is driving us to look at with Equilab and things. That I think there's going to be surprises all over the place that, for me at least, where, huh. I would have thought that's a, a clear call or a clear fold, and it's actually the opposite way based on, at least from an EV perspective. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I hadn't seen that. No. Yeah, not, not a, I'll forward it to you. Not, not a lot to discuss here, but I just thought that was kind of interesting, just a, sort of a state of the game, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny that all these – I mean, even just to the extent that you got Brokos and Charlie Carell – a bunch of them are like time to tweet on tweet on a one dollar buy-in tournament. <laughs> yeah, probably doesn't happen cool. that often. <laughs> yeah. Rob, did you have something? Well, actually, on on Thinking Poker podcast, they'll they will analyze hands and they'll get hands sent to them that are from a fifty cent one dollar online, you know, cash game. Yeah. Well, they'll, they'll analyze that hand to death, like it's a ten thousand dollar you know pot that they're they're dealing with and it's just you know it's just how does poker work how do you think about it when do you when do you do this when do you do that what does he have what does i what do i have what does he think i have (laughs) right 
<laughs> so you go, you're going six levels deep on the, on the strategy yeah. for a dollar fifty buy-in, but but the, exactly. at the end of the day, it's just zeros, right? I mean, whether it's a dollar fifty or fifteen hundred, it's the game is exactly. still the same, the strategy is still the same. Is that is that Andrew Brokus's podcast, Thinking Poker? Is that his? Yes. Yeah. You know, we we got him coming on uh, end of April, so I'm super yes. excited about that. I saw his name. He is he is one smart <laughs> individual. Yeah. No, I'm super excited about that for sure. He's going to make us all look stupid, but that's okay. We're trying <laughs> to learn the game, right? <laughs> No, he's very understanding of us lesser humans. Yeah, that's good. That's good. He he has a lot of pity built into him. Yeah. Uh, anybody else have a have a hand? Otherwise, I've got something I can bring up. But if anybody's got a hand or a situation or a topic that they want to talk about, let's let's go. All right. Uh, so so here's the one that this just keeps coming up. Um, and I you know maybe we'll just take another spin on it here too. But. Uh, we, I keep getting the question, middle pairs, out of position, middle pairs, out of position, middle pairs, out of position. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And I know we've talked about it a little bit, but, um, you know, who's, who's got some insight there? Who, who's starting to feel uh, more and more comfortable about, about those sort of situations where you, you know, let's say you open middle position with pocket sevens, pocket eights, whatever it might be. Uh, you get called by somebody in late position, you get called by a blind. And of course the flop comes, you know, king, six, three. Or, you know, King 10-3, something like that. And I think for us rec players, uh, a lot of folks, you know, probably still the number one question, that and Ace-King, you know, which is kind of the same thing, right? You kind of have uh, a, a middling equity sort of hand. You know, Ace-King is the not no pair and, you know, second or third pair is, you know, you have showdown value. But um, are you guys, are any of you sort of actively working on that or actively developing strategies around sort of those, you're the pre-flop aggressor, but you missed, but you have showdown value. Uh, are you sort of generally just taking the same line all the time, whether it's aggressive or passive? What are you guys doing to try to get better in, in those spots? Not overvalue how valuable a middle pair is. <laughs> so does, so yes, yeah, so you're not overvaluing it. Do you feel like you're struggling with undervaluing it at all? Or are you playing it passively, Taylor? Or kind of how are you – what's your general approach to those situations? Uh, I don't value it too high, so maybe I'm undervaluing how uh, like a pocket sevens would do in that situation. But, yeah, I guess in general I'm just kind of playing those very easy. I don't want to lose a medium-sized pot. I'd rather win a small pot or hit big and then win a big pot. Like I don't really – see middle pair as a hand that you should be playing a medium-sized pot with yeah so i'm gonna so, say it depends <laughs> yeah yeah thanks rob appreciate that <laughs> no I really, on what? Really, i've i've been in different situations there's times where you know i'll i'll raise middle position with like sixes or sevens and uh the flop will come king high and totally miss me and the the caller who is in the blinds will check. I'll go ahead and make a continuation bet, and then he'll call. And so then he'll check back to me on the turn, and then I'll just check back there, where mm -hmm. he doesn't under, he doesn't know what I have. I don't put him on a very big hand because he didn't check raise me. All he did was call, hoping to maybe catch something. And there's certain opponents, and I this guy I play with a lot, so I know what he's going to do. 
And he bet into me on the river when it was another blank. And I just called him off with my sixes and I was good. He had like queen high or something like that. So it, like I say, it depends. I knew that opponent was capable of doing that. Now there's another guy that we play with in my WSOP league who, if he did that, I'd have folded immediately. Once I'd he calls you on the flop? On the river. <laughs> or what, once he calls you on the flop, or you mean once he, once he leads into you on the river? Once he leads into me on the river, I, I fold everything. <laughs> okay. So it's definitely player dependent. But I, I think if you raise pre-flop and all you get is a call and you get a flop with a king high or a queen high flop, like say queen seven four, king seven four, something like that, and you got your pocket sixes, you need to bet out on a continuation bet on that and represent that king. Because nine times out of ten, you're going to get a fold. Especially me, because I'm old and everybody thinks I'm a nit. I mean, that, that's sort of the perspective, right? Some of those boards where it's one high, one big card and two little cards, that's a that's t- tends to be a good board to bet. Um, yes. You know, so so they say. Uh, then the question, <laughs> then you get called, and then what? Yeah. No, you're right. So is that kind of a, a general approach by some of you guys? So you, I mean, obviously board texture is part of that. So if it tends to be one big, two littles, that's maybe a continuation bet. If it tends to be two bigs, one little, that tends to be more of a check back. Is that a general rule of thumb at all? Or does it totally depend on, again, everything else? It depends on who you're playing. Like, it's got to be player dependent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, certain players' continuation bets are going to work better against certain players. It's going to work worse against. Like, you should be evaluating your decisions based off your opponent and, like, what range they have. So, like, where are they calling from? Are they just calling from the big blind? Okay, well, then it's potentially more likely that they've just got a super wide range and you should narrow it down or did you open from like under the gun plus two and then they called from under the gun plus three like those are two very different situations so let's talk about that a little bit then so let's say you open pocket sevens from under the gun plus two you get called by under the gun plus three we're gonna look at two scenarios under the gun plus three calls you and big blind calls you Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, let's not worry about player types yet unless that comes into play. But let's say those are the two situations. In both cases, under the gun plus two, pocket sevens, you open. Under the gun plus three calls you in one, big line calls you in the other. Flop comes, you know, king four deuce. Uh, are you saying, do, does in that situation, does it matter if you continuation bet based on the position of the player that called you? Yeah, a big thing that you're probably in unintentionally going after here is in one we're out of position and one we're in position. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so to me, that changes a lot. Um, I mean, the, the big blind should be calling with such a wide range that a continuation bet should work a lot here just to take down the pot. But in the other situation under the gun plus three, they're going to have um, a lot of Kings in their range, a lot of ACE high as well. Uh, as well as a lot of pocket pairs that actually beat us. So we're not getting as many folds, and then our continuation bet is going to be less effective. Well, just to be, make sure I understand, so just to be clear, they might both have as many aces and kings in their range. It's just that their range is the proportion under the gun plus three. Yeah. So the proportion of the remaining range is it's a higher probability that they're going to have a king or an ace or something. Yeah. Yep. Right, and what Taylor's saying is the guy uh, on the button is going to have many, many more hands that are not aces, kings, or in the blinds. Yeah, 
whereas the guy under the uh, under the gun plus three is going to have many more or less of those non ace king right pair hands. So you're, if the the wider the range, obviously the more liable that guy is to not have something that connected with that board. And when you're in position, the big blind checks to you, so you have that little tiny piece of information, I guess, there as well. So in that case, Taylor, does that mean, uh, obviously, it, it, there's still more factors that are involved, but what I'm hearing is that uh, you would tend to continuation bet more against the blind caller than you would against the under the gun plus three caller. Yeah, and I mean, my train of thought is, like, how often am I going to get my opponent to fold? And I think a lot of people would agree big blind just calling and then checking to you is going to fold a lot more than someone who called immediately after you raised. Right. Intuitively it makes sense. And then when you break down ranges and stuff, it makes sense. Does anything change if it's a, you know, a King queen six, uh, two heart flop when you start thinking about, uh, you know, big blind defend ranges and that sort of thing, or is it the same sort of approach? me it's close to the same just due to like the position and ranges that came from meaning like the big blind versus the under the gun plus three i don't yep. i don't think a certain flop would dictate if i'm gonna check or not but just based off the position of our opponents i think one we're in a great position to continuation bet and take it down the other we're not okay so what i'm hearing from you at least in general is what the flop is, is not driving your decision to see better or not. It's position. In this situation, yeah. In this situation, correct. Yep, and obviously bet sizing is a different thing. Okay, what do you, what do you got? Other guys' thoughts on that sort of thing as far as those those situations? For me, it, <clears throat> excuse me, for me, it, uh, the flop does make a difference because if if, like you said, it comes king with two hearts, if I have a heart in my hand, I have backdoor equity that helps with my continuation bet. And the same with your low cards. If they give you a backdoor straight equity, that helps with your continuation bet also. So the flop does make a, a small difference. Um, so that would make you, if you had the backdoor equity, that would make you more prone to continuation bet versus less prone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because if you hit another hard on the turn, then you're, you're styling. Here's <laughs> <laughs> your styling. <laughs> you got a set possibility, a flush possibility. Speaking of styling, man, that shirt looks good, dude. Oh, it's going to be 70 here tomorrow. I'm happy. Oh, okay. My Thank you. shirt. <laughs> can't come out of here, Steve. I know. Well, at least it's 40 here in Minnesota, so we can't whine quite as much as we could have a few weeks ago. Well, we got snow coming Friday, so it's coming back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Chris Jones, did you have something there? I saw you're, you unmuted for a second there. Well, I, I just uh, – where, where I've been struggling with these is in um, multi-way – uh, hands, particularly when I'm in like um, even button um, and it's been um, opened and three bet and I've got something like tens or jacks mm. and I just I, I, I never know what to do. I, I mean, I can't it seems so passive and weak to, to fold. It seems so terrible to four bet and just have to <laughs> just wait for the, the next step there. Uh, and you and and calling, and then you got to count on hopefully the the, op, the original opener folds. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're basically set mining with those, and it's it's just I just never know what to do. 
Well, let, let's talk about that one. So let's, I mean, if I heard your example right, let's just think of that. So somebody opens a fairly early position. Obviously, it'd have to be somebody three bets, and then you're on the button with, with jacks. Yeah. Okay. Let's, all right, guys, go. <laughs> tell, tell Chris and I what, what the heck we're supposed to do with jacks in a, in a three-bed pot when we're in position. It I assume we're. I assume. Yeah, it depends. I assume we're pretty deep stackers. I mean, I yeah, 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 yeah. It's always. I, it seems like I keep coming up in this situation, and it's like all three of us are deep stacked. There's no yeah. like, you know, it's not like I can just shove and and kind of solve that problem. It's like this is the, this is a real issue here. Yeah. Robert, right, what is what is the three better? Is he is he only three? Is he the John Deere? guy so you know he's got either aces kings or ace king if that's the case yeah then i all i all you can do there is call and set mine but if it's a guy that you know is very active and could be putting you know maybe the the, the first opener is maybe pretty wide this guy recognizes it he's very active he's very aggressive he goes ahead and puts a three bet to try to take this guy off the hand that's a perfect opportunity to put on the squeeze well, it's not really a squeeze, I guess. It's a re-steal, is what it is. And so, you're, that with that, you're 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 forebetting with the intention to fold to further aggression. Yes. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic. So, yeah, that's where I think player types do come into play here. And I think there's you. Some of you guys have thought about this a, a lot more. So, yeah, if the if the original opener is under the gun and super tight player, and everybody knows that, and somebody still three bets him. That's a yeah. pretty scary spot, but maybe to Rob's point, if if the guy's opening a lot of pots, and the three better is somebody who's you know noticing that and probably going to say, all right, I'm going to you know take advantage of that. Those are two very different situations. In the first one, it might just be a fold. I mean, I don't even know if I like set mining. It kind of depends what you think that original raiser is capable of doing. Because like you said, if I you know call eight big blinds here and then they ship for fifty, well that sucks. <laughs> you know, right? It just sucks. Uh, but if you think there's a good chance they're just going to call even with ace king or pocket kings or queens, then at least you can set you can afford to set mine, and your odds I think are really good there. So yeah, I think I think that's one spot. The the second spot where it's this guy's loose, everybody knows they're loose. This guy's going to three bet probably pretty light because of it. Yeah, I think I think I'd be curious to know what people are thinking there. Am I am I just calling behind for value to kind of underrepresent my hand and the pot control, or do I just put in a big four bet and? and hope they actually don't have the top end of their range. Right. I think if they're a looser player, you you have to four bet there. Which which one's a looser player? The one that three bet. The one that's, you know, uh but I mean you'll see a lot of you'll see a lot of rec players, they'll they're only three betting ace, kings and queens. Right. And then you really have to decide you're you if you call there and the flop comes nine seven three right how much money do you want to lose with this hand when you know exactly that they're at the top of their range every single time they three bet because you can't when it comes nine seven three and you check to them i mean you know they might not barrel the 50 bigs but now you're you're committed to calling one more street. You don't have, no. you don't have to, right? If, if you feel like you're totally, if you're going in with the perspective that I am set mining, yeah, even though you have an overpair. And, you know, but you yeah, now you have an overpair. It's like, uh, it's, it's so it's brutal. Gross. 
It's gross. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, you, you brought up the, the second player. I do think it's a, it's an important spot to really consider the player type of each of the, I think both player player types really come into play here, especially if people are paying attention. Like Chris is saying, maybe rec players aren't even paying attention. They don't really know. They're only betting, they're just betting their hand. But yeah, I think that, that, you know, the first player super tight, the second player, even if he's a super loose player, if, if they know that that first guy is super tight, I got to give that second player a lot of credit, I think, for a pretty big hand here. Yeah. Um, so I think you really have to consider both player types, I think. Always. Always. And I'm not, I'm not great at that either. I'm, I'm always like, but I got jacks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you'll always, you'll always have there, – there's two different types of rec players. There's, there's the rec players, ABC, super tight. And then there's the rec players – Hey, let's go have some beers. Let's let's toss some cards, and and they're wide open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for so, sure. so the wide open guys, you can never bluff them, ever. I mean, it, it's like you have to switch gears and you have to start playing ABC against the wide open guy because there might be uh, four to a straight with three spades out there and you can put a big bet in trying to rep something, they're going to call you with bottom two pair because, they, you know, I got bottom two pair. I came here to play, you know. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's you're never winning there. And then when you have the super tight ABC players, that's when you can shift the gears, open your game up. You can, when you know, when they raise and, you know, they might have ace-jack, ace-queen, you can you can three bet five six and sometimes get it through. I mean it's yeah. it's really paying attention to every single player that's at your table, what their image is and and where the position of them around you. So so Chris, I mean, what you, sorry sorry Chris Jones, like so what is there a particular situation that that is more trying than others in that spot like when you know say you have tender jacks on the button is it are there certain player type combinations or have you not really thought about that is it just kind of general like are there certain specific things about that situation that really are more taxing yeah i guess it's when when i when it's players who i can't you know i think it's really easy if you can go into the, like the john deere or the maniac type things but when it's just like a couple of really solid players who could be showing up with uh you know yeah. Just a, a legitimate range, and I just at that point I'm kind of like I don't know what to do. Uh, so it, it's more like yeah, I agree. If 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 it's if it's John Deere only aces or kings, I'm probably folding. And if it's you know maniac and showing up with two four off, then I'm definitely four betting. But it's that it's that sort of when I've got two really solid players, and in fact the the original razor could still be have a real legitimate hand in this situation too so it just it makes it really dicey right yeah especially when if they're under the gun and if it's somebody that's paying attention to you know kind of by paying attention to position yeah you know even if they're fairly wide open or if they're raising under the gun it should be maybe top 10 percent of hands top 15 yeah. percent of hands so yeah it makes it that much more probable that they actually have a, a real legitimate hand that they're willing to go to war with mm-hmm. yeah i think i agree with you uh it's to me, it's a t- it's a really tough spot. What what do you tend to do? Or oh, here, well, here. I've been I've been trying to. For, I mean, I think my standard play for for a lot of 
years has been just like call in that situation and like just hope. Yeah. Um, but I've been really trying to force myself to four bet a lot more in that situation. I think it's, it's generally been working. I haven't gotten into a ton of trouble, but you know, when, and just, you know, it's, it's, it's just one where you just fold when, when uh, you face any more aggression, but if you get called, if the four bet gets called, you're in the same situation as if you call. I mean, you're, I mean, that's a little. You know that they have a more legitimate holding, but uh, you're still in sort of this like, well, now what? Especially on like a flop, like a nine seven three flop. Now right. What? Well, I think with with like tens or jacks, to me, you know, you you want to find spots to four bet, just like you want to find spots to three bet. Right. And for me, if I four bet with tens or jacks, and I get five bet. It's just a, such a super easy fold, yeah, right. and I don't really feel that bad about it. I feel like I probably saved myself money by doing this rather than calling. Uh, and you don't need to four bet huge either. Yeah. You know, if somebody yeah. goes three x, somebody goes eight x, you can go fourteen x. I mean, you don't have to make it a huge thing. You're kind of make, it looks so strong. And if somebody comes over the top of that, I can just easily fold, and I'm never going to get in trouble with flopping a nine high flop. Right, right. You know, so I I don't know. I kind of like the four bet plus. If if you do just get called. Well, that just caps their ranges big time, mm-hmm. you know, because they probably don't have aces or kings or maybe ace king suited. I mean, you kind of now you can you can represent the big hand, and now you're the preflop aggressor. Now you can choose to check back and position. You know, I think it, it opens up so many more opportunities uh, for you there. Um, that yeah, I, I kind of like the four bet there in general, um, but it's <laughs> it takes cojones, man. I'm like, I got tens. I'm gonna four bet here. <laughs> The, wor- the worst thing I do in those situations, and this is, I, I'm, I need somebody to like to charge me $10 every time I do this because it's such a bad thing I do in my game, is that I'll be, I'm the guy, right? So I fold my jacks in that spot. Uh, all the action happens or whatever. The flop comes with a jack. And at the end of the hand, <laughs> at the end of the hand, I'm the guy that says, oh, I had jacks. Well, don't tell people that you just fold the jacks, three flop, do a three bet. You know what I mean? Like, I, I did that. Uh, it wasn't that big of a hand, but I did that in day two of one of like the 280. And I'm sitting there with like Cordonudo and all these guys that are just soaking up all this information. And I told them what I folded. <laughs> like, don't tell, I don't, I don't know if it's value, but like, stop doing that. That's what I've, was I've, that the, was that the pot of gold you did that? Yes. Oh my Right. God. I got Matt Alexander on my direct left and I got all the, you know, all these guys over there and I'm, I'm telling them what I folded. Like, yikes. Anyway. Um, I, so I, I kind of like the four bet in general there, even though it takes cojones and it could be a good chunk of your stack, but I would generally four bet pretty small there just so I can get away from it easily. So, so I'm going to tell you exactly what I told Jay. You weren't playing like you wanted that Applebee's. What? I don't get that. I don't get the Re- reference. Remember when I came over, I don't James remember anything, Chris. You know this. Oh, good God. <laughs> and I said, if you make it to day two, I'm going to take you to Applebee's. And you <laughs> okay, I do. laughed at me. I did make day two. Where's my Applebee's? Well, <laughs> you weren't playing like it. So. <laughs> <laughs> what other, other thoughts on Chris's tens or jacks or whatever? The, well, the three bet on the other question to Go throw ahead. out there. Does it change anything if you're out of position? So now you're in the big blind and you've got, I mean, now are you playing those more passively? Or are you, or are you, or are you four betting because you are out of position? Yeah, I, I'm probably more prone to four bet out of position there. Um, I'm it folder. I, I don't know. God dang it. Uh, yeah, it's either a folder or four bet for me. Probably. Um, I just don't like it out of, unless I really just think I can set mine. Unless I really think I've got the great odds and I really am comfortable that the first guy is not going to squeeze me off of that. Cause as soon as I just call, I'm just saying, squeeze me, squeeze me. Right. Um, we didn't talk about bet, uh, stack size. So 
if you can call a three bet for 10% or less of your stack, that's easily doable for set mining. If it, if it's going to be more than that, then yeah, you're in a situation where you're either going to fold or you're going to four bet. But I think if you can, in that situation where you have two marginally competent people that you, you know, you're, you know, they're not real wide. They have a pretty good opening, you know, three betting range where it's going to be pretty tight. I think you want to set mine as long as you can do it for the right price. Well, and if there is a three bet and that much action on the flop, you're more likely to realize your implied odds yeah. than in just a normal pot as well. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I think too, uh, hey, Rob, uh, I, I'd i like to at some point in time maybe even just submit over to you, Steve, the, the numbers. I, th I think I've mentioned a couple of times on some of our conversations running through all of the profitable set mining positions of it, it was basically thinking if you had maybe tens or less jacks is like it, it is tough i mean everyone talks about like they hate jacks for a reason so but um like tens or less particularly like nines or less um you know pocket pairs the the profitability of set mining versus this size bet and this size three bet and i've gone through working off of like a 40 big line stack to a 50 to a 60 up to 100 and it's pretty like it was pretty eye-opening how profitable actually calling from out of position so that you're strictly just set mining you're strictly set mining at this point but um how um how big that three bet can come back to you and you're still profitable making that call so at some point in time i'd like to send that over to you like actually type it up because i did it you know on hand notes but um and it's multiple pages but it might be a worthy a worthwhile discussion sometimes so to your point rob that 10 percent or whatever it is like i could i've done the math at some point in time and it's it's higher than that even i Really? For some reason, like 17% comes to mind, but it, it was a while ago that I did that. But at some point in time, maybe it would be worth us even taking a peek at that. But again, it's specific to being out of position and then calling when there's an open and then a three bet, knowing that in some cases you are going to, you're going to call and then get squeezed and you know, you're letting that go too. And then it's also obviously assuming for some pretty good implied odds to John's point too. So but. that would be fantastic, Derek. I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was, I was quite surprised. It, it made it sucks because I already play passive enough. And then when I did that, I was like, Oh, you know, kind of got rid of like, should I four bet here? Why I like right here may, I should play a little bit more passively and I, I don't need to be reinforced and playing more. Passively. So, so the argument, so there's the math was showing kind of the merits of just calling, but was the kind of the final conclusion that that's actually a better play than four betting. I think that what was, it sh it showed me more, I don't know necessarily if it was better as much as it okay. showed the profitability, how, how big you could go with someone's how big their three bet could be and still just profitably call at that spot. And then yeah. there's a real, there's a really clear spot where it's like, it's a, it's not a plus or minus, like it's a, a neutral EV and then it gets really bad quickly from there too. Okay. So okay. it's pretty steep, like, whoop, you know, so. And I, I really like John's point too. That's something that can get lost on me a little bit is okay. If I do flop a set, what, you know, we always think, okay, if I get the right odds, I'm going to do it because I'm going to get paid off, but that's not always the case. I mean, there's plenty of players that are never going to pay you off if you flop a set against them, unless obviously they have, you know, aces or something like that. So that's where I love John's point because it almost makes it, um, you know, a much higher probability that if you flop a set, you're going to get paid and paid big. And that's very, 
very uh, something very appealing, I would say. Well, like you said, with the you know get paid off the aces. I saw a hand uh, this weekend. Uh, raise call three bet call call, and came out king queen three, and it checked all the way down to the river. The guy with aces never lost another cent, and Ryan Hartman flopped a set of queens. Yeah, yeah. And he said, yeah. And he already said, he said, when when you guys like just cold call a huge three bet, that's king queen flop is the worst flop in the world. It's he's like, I'm I'm never going broke there with with just pair aces. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Okay. So I mean, that's <laughs> and uh, the the other side of it, you know, I flopped a set against the guy, and he had, he had aces, and I like sevens or whatever. This just happens all the time, you know. And I flop a set of sevens, and he just he just jams his 120 big blinds on the flop. <laughs> okay, you know, so that's kind of the opposite, you know, of of that. Yeah, and 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 I've had situations where I've had aces, and it's it's come out, you know, just. Just like nine eight seven, I don't lose right. another single That's die. That's a scary board. I mean, yeah. it's it's it's, yeah. it's I'll never go broke there with just one pair. And so that's that's part of this is too whether you know who are you playing against, who is likely to go broke with one over pair, and who are those really good players because they're just not going to pay you off if you flop a set. Obviously, you'll get some value, but but yeah. are you going to even realize the full eight x value that you <laughs> went into the when you went into uh, looking for it when you had your thought you had the implied odds. Rob, did you have something there? No, no, okay. I was just, I was just agreeing. Okay, um, I, I think I've been on both sides of that equation that Chris was talking about. I was, I've been the guy with the aces that has jammed and got looked <laughs> up by a set, and I've been the other guy with the set who got, yeah, took yeah. out the guy with aces. So yeah, I've been on both sides of that. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> the pain. Chris, does that help at all, or is that are we not getting kind of at what you're no, it's super helpful. It's super helpful. I mean, it's it's obviously just a tough spot, but I mean, it's super yeah. helpful to hear how other people are thinking about it too. Yeah, I think it. I think it's tough. What else you guys got? I'm anxious to see Derek's homework. Yeah, for sure. Because I think that's fascinating. I've I've always been of a mind that if you're gonna be, if you have to put in more than ten percent of your stack to set mine, that you shouldn't do it. And I don't know where I read that. I read that somewhere. And it's always been just kind of a general guideline that I use. So if somebody three bets and it's and it's going to cost me, you know, twenty percent of my stack to call the set mine, I just generally just fold there. Well, I think it's true in, in heads up. I know for sure because if you say that it's one and eight to hit a set, you kind of want to have those odds where you can actually get a full double up if you hit. Otherwise, it's kind of a losing proposition. I think two things change that. One for me is if the if the pair is high enough that there's a decent chance I could flop an over pair. You know, if I got tens or nines or whatever, then I don't really have to flop a set against some players. I'm still going to feel good about my hand. But I think the other one is a multi-way pot. And I think, Derek, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were talking about where there's a there's an open and a three bet before you. You weren't involved in either of those. So it's, it's a very high potential to multi-way pot, which in those situations, I don't think you necessarily need the, you know, the 10% or the one and eight. I think you, you've got a, a better chance at getting a lot of chips that way. Yeah. Just, just John's point. Yeah, you got to let. You're gonna. You have the potential of uh, the implied odds are gonna be much greater. Yeah, 
Derek, yeah, are you I, still are you still on Derek? Was that a multi-way pot example? Derek left. Okay, okay. John, go ahead. Somsky. I was just gonna say I for set for pure set mining, I tend to be a little more conservative and like to have a fifteen to one ratio. Strictly because you're not going to realize the full eight to one equity all the time. But if you have that little extra buffer, then sometimes you'll get a little more than that. So overall, it's still a profitable play. Or there has to be some other dynamic, like it's a really crazy guy that you know is going to just be shoveling money into the pot. Then you can do it with uh, 10 to 1. Or if, or if it's a guy you know, by the way he's playing, he has aces, kings, or queens, and he's likely to um, put all of the money in the pot afterwards because you've seen him play that way before. Then you can do it with a little less. but I like to give myself a little bit of buffer to make sure I'm getting the proper equity on average by set mining. Cause there's a lot of times you don't realize that full double up. You get, you know, maybe four times what you put in the flop and not the full eight. Right. So if, if, if I extrapolate that, John, does that mean, uh, I'm not think I can think of a great example, but let's say somebody opens that you think is a very, very solid player. Um, they're going to pick up on the fact that you flopped a set and they're not going to probably pay you off full value. Uh, but yet to call them is only, you know, it's, it's less than 10% of your stack. Uh, you know, you have pocket threes or something in late position. Does that mean that you're, you may have a more of a tendency to just fold there because you're not going to realize the value if you do flop a set or, you know, how does it, does that, does that change things based on that player type? I guess it would depend a little bit on how I have, been playing and interacting with them there are some people that particularly for the lower sets lower pairs i won't bother because i figure i need to get some additional equity somewhere and that equity could just be having the best hand um so th i'm not talking about a three bet situation here right because the plow player is solid but they may very well have ace king and if i hit a set I know I can get a little more value from them, but I might not hit my eight times uh, value. So then I might not. Uh, I might do as you said and just fold. Or um, I'll fold the lower pairs and go to the higher pairs where there's also a chance that I can win without hitting a set. If the flop comes, let's say I have tens, for example. If the flop happens to come nine high, um, against certain people I know I can just make a big bet and their reaction will allow me to then play perfectly. They'll either have an overpair and I fold or uh, they'll fold and I take the pot down. So I, I don't have to have the set to win. So no, that that's really good. I'm just trying to think. So, so let's just scoot you over from the button to the small blind. What does that change? Say everything else is the same, the same player, the same stack sizes. Uh, the same position that they're in, they open it, folds around to you. And now instead of the button where you're going to have position, you're in the small blind. Does that, does that change anything as far as, you know, wanting to set mine or maybe looking for an overpair? Uh, what does that change for you? It probably just makes me a couple degrees more conservative. It's not like I won't set mine, but I want to make sure when you're out of position, you, the, your winning pots tend to be smaller and your losing pots tend to be bigger. 
Um, now you're not going to lose that often set mining, but there, you know, set over set does happen. Um, but the, uh, so then I want to have a little bit more buffer room. I'd want to be further from the eight and closer to the 15 range for, uh, big blinds. So it doesn't make you, it makes you more passive. It doesn't make you necessarily want to three bet more. I guess I would, I don't three bet enough. So I, maybe that I should be doing that, but, um, yeah, I don't three bet enough. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not judging if you should or should. I just kind of want to know if that, you know, we've been talking about position a bit, if that makes you more prone to want to three bet or you, you still just sort of say, do I have the right price to set mine? Will I get paid if I hit my set? Do I have a chance at an overpair? And in that, in that particular situation, the position uh, post-swap isn't a, a huge consideration for you at this point. Well, it is a little bit in that I want to, what I mean is if I'm in position, maybe I'll take the flyer with only uh, a 10 to one ratio on my, the chips I put in. Versus right. Okay. Prepared to win. If I'm out of position, I want to be closer to the 15. Gotcha. You, you said that I just didn't really uh, internalize it. Okay. So that's the difference is you're going to play it about the same way, but you want more buffer out of position. Right. Because I'm less likely to hit my full equity out of position than I am in position. Got it. Okay. That's I'm good. Not much control of it. Good thoughts on that guys or other thoughts. Well, last, last week we were talking about this same, almost the same subject. Where, where's the cutoff? Is it, we always talk about those jacks and tens being right yeah. at the cutoff there. So now if you're in the big blind or let's say you're in the small blind and we talked about three betting, we talked about polarized ranges versus linear ranges. Now with pocket pairs, I know Taylor last week was talking about calling a lot with pocket pairs, but is there a point where you're, where you're either three betting calling and three betting the bottom range, three betting the top range of your pocket pairs and then calling the middle? Or is it just your three betting jacks are better and you're set mining everything else? Is there a, is there a cutoff or do you, do you polarize yourself with your pairs? Yeah. And that, I thought the conversation last week was intriguing and it actually, uh, I thought about that for quite a while. I tend, based on that conversation, I tend to believe now that, uh, it's the proper play to, to set mine with even the bottom end of those pairs and not and not three bet with them, saving my my polarized three bet three betting range to be more of those suited connector type things or suited aces, the stuff that I really don't care if I get four bet off. Um, and I think this had something to do with Taylor's conversation, just that you know there, there's so much equity in flopping a set. I just don't want to three bet with pocket threes and get four bet off of it. How about Jack? That's my take. How about Jack? I'm, I'm, you know, I tell you exactly how I play. Um, <laughs> well, we're all, no, I we're know. all in the same boat. <laughs> I'm willing to do I honestly, I play, uh, well, it, of course it depends. Um, but in, in those sort of situations with aggression in front of me, Jack's, um, unless it's against certain type of player, I tend to play him like I would pocket sevens. And just, if it's overpair, that makes it more, I mean, the probability of being an overpair, that's encouraging to me. Uh, but I tend to not, go crazy with jacks because it, I just feel like there is so much equity and I just hate to get re-raised off of it. Okay. Then how about Queens? 
<laughs> yeah, Queen, Queens, honestly, uh, I don't know why. I'm on the hot seat, but Queens, I tend to play more like Jacks in that spot again. Um, okay. I will. Right. Uh, but it, that, but we're just trying to find that threshold. It's closer. Yeah, for me, it's King. Kings is. No, it's basically it's Aces and Kings is the only thing you're three you're, betting on. You're talking to a guy that's folded Kings like four times in a $30 tournament pre flop. So <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be the one answering these questions. <laughs> were you so right, I, though? Were I was right, right? Three, three out of four times I was right. Really? <laughs> so so you the ask, ask the other guys. You guys chime in. By the transitive property, you play jacks like sevens and queens like jacks. Therefore, therefore, queens and sevens are the same hand to you. <laughs> but it, it, it gets closer. <laughs> it's, a, it's a graduated thing, right? Like queens, I'm you know, there's a higher percentage that I'm going to to re-raise, and sevens there's a lower percentage. But but no, in general, um, depending on the stage of the tournament, again, too, like if. Obviously, if we have 20, 25 bigs, let's just go. Queens are a let's just go situation. Jacks are probably a let's just go situation. Uh, but assuming we're, we're deeper, uh, I'm, I kind of bought into the Matt Hunt's all for why stuff where there's different phases of a tournament and phase one is preservation stage. And I'm, I'm looking to, I'm fine winning a small pot with Queens. Uh, I might just call and I might just call all the way down. I might just check call all the way down uh, because, because there's so much value in underrepresenting your hand when you just call with jacks or queens, uh, people just don't put you on those hands. And I think uh, they'll, they'll barrel off if they got, you know, they had a 10 or they have second pair or even ace high. Um, and you can just kind of get a lot of value that way. Obviously, you can get outdrawn and that thing. So sort of my I'm, – I'm trying to have an overall integrated strategy. Um, and so I think for some players, it would never make sense to flat with jacks or queens. I think for the way that I'm trying to play and have sort of this variance reduction uh, approach to tournaments – um, not being scared, but trying to just reduce the overall variance. Uh, that's why I do tend to uh, open raise smaller. I tend to three bet smaller. I tend to, to, you know, call down. I tend to check back, uh, in a few more spots than other people would, but it's part of an overall strategy. It doesn't necessarily make it right for everybody, but that, that is, yeah. Queens like sevens and in some cases, John, that is correct. Do you not three bet much from the small blind? Uh, I, I do, but I'm, I, I tend to be really, really polarized there. Uh, I'll do my, my suited aces, uh, maybe suited connectors against the right players. Uh, and I will, you know, aces, kings, some of those bigger hands too, ace, kings. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty polarized and it's probably too much, but, the, but it's pretty, pretty thin on the edges of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I tried to cut out calling from the small blind, which means that I'm either three betting or folding. And then to make my three betting wider some of those hands are becoming a three bet for value rather than yeah. um, uh, just a call. So I, I, I think I go down to like jacks and three bet jacks there, but then I'm also three betting a lot of other uh, mm. hands that have blockers and stuff that I'm trying to get the original razor to fold with. Yeah. And I, it's I somewhat I, of a different strategy, but kind of similar results. Well, I think it's, it's yeah, no, it's different, but similar, but I do fold like you. I, I fold a lot of small blinds to raises. Uh, I'm I'm not a great I'm not a big defender even big blind, uh, to me it's just a losing proposition in a lot of cases. So I'm not a big defender anyway. So I don't do a ton of calling out of the blinds against most players. I mean, for me, I I defend a lot from the big, small blind not so much. It depends who's opening up. If it's the hijack, the cutoff, or the button, opening up every single time, it's like I'll open. I'll open up my small blind range to where I'll three bet with jack 10 suited, king, queen, 
King Jack suited. I mean, all the way down to nine ten suited. And just because of the fact that they're open and so wide. Right. So, but I mean, big blind, I, I defend quite a bit. I mean, give me five, six suited, six, seven suited in the big. And I'm happy because I can, I can play back at the texture of the board and, and what they're doing. So it's, it's not always about, yeah, it's, it's not about the hand. It's about the opponent. It's about the situation. And it's just, yeah, and those those hands are great. I, those hands are great to either three better defend with, I think, for sure as well. I'm just talking about like a lot of the defense. You see a lot of defending with king three, queen six, you know, that kind of stuff. That's where I, I tend to throw those away, depending on the player in the tournament situation more than others, I think. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're 100 bigs and, you know, he, he makes a two and a half and you got king three of spades in the, in the big blind, go ahead and take a flop, but... You know, if you're 18 bigs, <laughs> you're you're not you're not going to be defending so wide. It's you're either you're either coming back over the top, all in, putting the pressure back on him, or you're just full. Yeah. Other thoughts on on the blinds or the the pairs? Anybody else playing queens like sevens? <laughs> I do once hey, in a while. Rob is just cringing there. I can just, I can like see you like, like starting to <laughs> convulse a little bit. I do on the flop when there's a queen and a seven. Uh, what when you flop a set with them, you play them the same, Taylor? Yeah, if uh, the flop has a queen and a seven on there, I play queens and sevens the same. That's good. Good <laughs> tip. Good yeah. tip. <laughs> That's about where it ends, right? Yeah. No, he's just setting us up for next Saturday. <laughs> Taylor is or I am? Taylor is. Yeah. You're Every, an open book, Steve. You're an open I know. book. We know and exactly what and you And if got. you don't know what I have, just ask. I'll probably show you. <laughs> so bad. Hey, George, you missed out on a whole bunch, man. There was so much John Deere talk. Real? Yeah. Yeah, I kept thinking, where's, where's George? You're not wearing the John Deere hat, dude. Not tonight, no. <laughs> My computer was locked up. I had to re-register in the program to get oh, back. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. yeah, we were talking about, hey, if you're playing as John Deere hat, you, were, <laughs> you, you weren't there. <laughs> Grandpa George. Grandpa George. Yes. <laughs> My John Deere hat wasn't working so good for me, so I took it off. <laughs> it didn't make any difference. Aces got cracked today, so I'm, yeah. I'm not. It's, <laughs> it's all an act anyway. Well, what do you guys think? We got about ten minutes left. Anybody got anything else you want to talk through? I, I have a question. Speaking of all an act, uh, <laughs> so there was there was somebody in the thirty dollar tournament on Sunday who uh, who showed up and um, said, first of all, he's like all, looking all confused, like what I'm seat eight. Where is that even? I don't even know what what you know how to play and oh this is the first tournament i've ever played and and everyone's like oh hey you know it's nice to sit down welcome whatever then he sits down and he's doing like subconsciously not really thinking about it he's doing all these like chip tricks and like <laughs> flipping around. and i'm looking at him like oh man come on but so i'm just wondering how like how do you approach somebody who's like obviously like trying to put sort of on a, an image that's counter to probably what they what they're capable of? Hmm. 
I think uh, my initial reaction is I, I want to keep that information for myself. I'm not sure how I use it yet, but I don't really want to call it out to the whole table that, hey, all right, dude, I see what's <laughs> happening over there. Because I, I kind of want to be the only one that has that that information. But yeah, how do you how do you use it? I think that's that's interesting. I think you just to me in that spot, I would just assume, okay, these these gonna be more creative and crafty um, than I might have originally given them credit for. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. I'd never encountered somebody who was like so actively trying to look like an idiot, but like was actually I mean, had I I mean he's at least handled chips before a lot in his life. Right. I do that every once in a while, just to mess with people. I mean, sit down. Well, it, oh, blind! I got to put stuff in. I start shuffling <laughs> chips across my knuckles. And... <laughs> You're like, you've played before. No, it's just it's like I just tried it and it just happened. Yeah, I've never played <laughs> poker. I just practice shuffling chips in my spare time. That's pretty funny. Rob, did you have something there? No, I was just gonna say that I was a pretty poor actor. If, he, if yeah. that's you know, come on, stay in character. Stay in right, character. Right, right. I know exactly. That would be pretty fun, actually. I suppose. I sometimes just to show up and like put on the big ruse of having no idea what to do. Just be kind of fun to do. Right now, George, you do that all the time, <laughs> or, or is that your real thing? It's usually because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> whatever, whatever. Well, well now that I shaved, I think I can get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, did he did he do anything in the tournament? Did he, did he eventually like it was pretty obvious that he knew what he was doing or I what mean, happened? He knew. He yeah. I mean, he was not like doing anything crazy. He was like you know, doing three X raises and doing some pretty normal play. So he'd like, he knew what he was doing, Um, but he didn't do anything. It's, I don't think it really helped him, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've never seen that, that obvious. There, there've been times where I feel like somebody has been like a little bit like that, but not that blatant. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to stay in character in that situation, you don't three X raise. Right. Right. You know, you, you throw it all in on the first hand or something. Like or you, you don't raise. know what the hell you're yeah. doing, and you know, it, you don't you don't do three X exactly three X because right. then you just you blew it. Yeah, yeah. You got, the blinds are fifty hundred. You got to raise to two hundred, and then when somebody calls, you got to bet one hundred on the yeah, flop, exactly. and you got a one hundred on the turn. And <laughs> yeah, go all in on the river. And then go all in on the river. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, funny. All right, got anything else, you guys? Well. Come with that subject. Didn't Fox mention that when he's when he goes to a casino that he doesn't normally go to, he pretends he's a tourist. He'll dress up like a tourist. He said he'll dress up like a tourist instead of like he normally dresses in his regular poker room. Right. Yeah, that was interesting. I thought for sure he wants to give that. He'll dress up nice and kind of look like he's just there with money. Yeah. And that's why George wears the John Deere hat. It totally (laughs) is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. He knows what he's doing. So, yeah. Nobody thinks he's capable of three betting light. <laughs> yep. They say, oh, he's got to have aces. So they call with their five, six and beat him. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he did have aces. He had aces. <laughs> yeah, the guy sat on the other night and firsthand and he went all in. I had pocket kings. I was the second guy to act. I called him. He had pocket aces. <laughs> I was out. Yep. Good game. GG. But. My John Deere hat didn't work that day either. <laughs> <laughs> you need a rec poker hat, I think, is what, what you're trying to tell me, I think. I need something to get I, I might know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we can get – I know uh, I'm bummed that Jordan wasn't able to join us. I'll try to figure out – he still has an email, so I'm not sure what's going on there. I'm sure he 
ended up in a tournament or something, but we'll try to get him back on. But uh, this is good stuff, man. Uh, new format. Hopefully that works for y'all. Uh, trying to reclaim a little bit of my Monday nights if possible. Just I got a million things going on. So trying to condense. Plus the idea is I, you know, the idea would be we have the interview on for 45 minutes and then, you know, you guys can all be part of that deal. And then they sign off and then we can kind of immediately react to what we heard and, and how we can apply it and then kind of go from there. So that's the the new idea uh, with Monday nights. We'll kind of play with that format for a while and see how that goes. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, let me know on that deal. But I'll, I'll email you guys, kind of let you know uh, what's coming up. As I mentioned, we have, I, I'd say here's our guest coming up. But now I know I just have to say here's our scheduled guests <laughs> coming up. Um, Sky Matsuhashi again, James Splitsuit Sweeney, Ian Matakis, Rob Meyer, Andrew Brokus, and Peyton Smith. I just landed today, who's a fantastic young player. So uh, I'm really excited about uh, about those guys, and we'll kind of see how that goes with the discussion. So shoot, shoot me an email if you have any questions, but uh, that's it. Otherwise, for tonight, guys, thank you. Thank you. See you later. All right. Thanks. Guys. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. All right, well, that's it for this week. Thanks to the rec poker players who uh, joined us for that discussion. Uh, we were unable to uh, land our guest, Jordan Young, so I'm sure he'll reschedule. We'll have him back uh, in the near future. Uh, thanks to Running Aces again for being our official sponsor. And also, Crazy Like a Fox, man. Check it out. Uh, all the information on the website, uh, rec, uh, Fox Rec Poker, to get uh, that course for 150 bucks. You can get all the videos, get caught up fully on that thing. Uh, even if you uh, enter into it now, a couple of weeks uh, into it, you still get all of the content. And uh, hey, good luck to you on and off the felt going forward. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, Steve at RecPokerTraining.com or uh, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. All right, everybody. Take care.